0: Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Monday, April 19th. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Here's how we're making you smarter today. A new way for police departments to handle mental health calls, Plus, Richard Wright's new book on police brutality, published six decades after his death. But first, President Biden's foreign policy crises are today's one big thing. Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny has been on a hunger strike in prison for three weeks, and this weekend his doctor said he could die soon. It's just the latest in a string of events from overseas that could become major crises for President Biden. Axios' world editor Dave Lawler is here to catch us up. Dave, I wonder if we can start with Alexei Navalny. Can you remind us what we need to know about Putin's most public enemy?
1: Right. So Alexei Navalny is an anti-corruption activist, and he was poisoned last year while he was on a flight between Siberian cities. And so he was eventually taken out of Russia to Germany, where he recovered. And while there, the authorities said they had discovered that he was poisoned with this nerve agent, Novichok, which is used by the Russian security services. Navalny returned to Russia, where he was arrested on basically charges that he had violated his parole while out of the country. And so he has since gone to prison. He was being denied the medical treatment that he would requested. He went on hunger strike. It looks like his health is in very, very dire condition. His wife recently visited and said he was too frail to stand for long periods of time. So he certainly looks like he is in a pretty perilous position in terms of his health.
0: People might remember the massive protests that took place across Russia when he was arrested. How are we expecting Russians to react if he does die?
1: So there are efforts right now to mobilize a protest, even before he dies, to uh, the save Alexei Navalny is the theme of the protest. We know already the State Department has said that there will be repercussions for Russia if he's allowed to die in prison. This is a figure that the Russian opposition has mobilized around, so we can expect some pretty clear shows of dissent from inside of Russia as well. But right now, what his supporters are saying is that if he's able to get the medical treatment that he's requested, this can be avoided.
0: Another story coming out of Russia is the 80,000 troops Russia has been amassing along the borders of Ukraine. Is this a pretext to an invasion?
1: So we don't really know exactly what it's for. The CIA has said that this is a sufficient number of troops that if Russia were to go into Ukraine, they could sort of move this disputed line of territorial control to the west into Ukraine. There are a couple other objectives that they could potentially seek to fulfill there. But right now, it's just a very menacing sign on on the border of Ukraine with these, like you said, 80,000 troops.
0: And Dave, you wrote a piece over the weekend connecting this situation in Ukraine with a few other foreign policy crises that President Biden might be facing.
1: Yeah. So when Biden was coming into office, if if you had sort of listed the potential crises that were out there, certainly Russia uh, and Ukraine would have been one. Another is China's aggression towards Taiwan, and a third would be Iran's nuclear program. And and what we saw over the last week is kind of the lights blinking red on all three fronts there. In terms of Taiwan, China sent 25 warplanes into Taiwanese airspace last week as kind of a show of force. We also had An explosion in an Iranian nuclear site that has been attributed to Israel that has caused Iran to say they're going to start accelerating their uranium enrichment. So three pretty worrying signs for the Biden administration to be dealing with all at once.
0: Dave Lala writes the Axios World Newsletter, which is following all of this. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Nyla. In 15 seconds, how the pandemic has shifted how some police departments are responding to mental health calls. Welcome back to Axios Today. There's been a movement in American policing to have trained mental health officers respond when someone's experiencing a mental health crisis. This is either with a police officer or sometimes in place of an officer. And we've seen pilot programs like this in cities like Oakland. But in Tampa Bay, they're outfitting police officers with virtual support. Ben Montgomery with Axios Tampa Bay is here with us now. Ben, how does this work?
2: Well, essentially, anytime an officer in the few police departments that are trying this out so far or gets dispatched on a distress call where they're dealing with somebody who's going to be in some state of mental distress, they take with them a tablet where essentially they fire up an app and they can connect the person in mental distress with a counselor virtually so that that counselor is sort of better equipped sometimes than a police officer to help the person connect with the mental health services they need.
0: And is the idea of having a virtual mental health counselor something that's happened because of the pandemic?
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. A couple of things are at play here. One, the number of people in mental distress right now, unfortunately, is getting bigger. It's put burden on police departments who deal with more and more of these types of calls. And so that has dovetailed also with the familiarity we're all getting with telehealth, telecommunication, with talking virtually with people through a screen.
0: Are there any drawbacks to this?
2: Well, you know, ideally, I think you would want a mental health counselor on every one of these calls in person. Obviously, you can communicate better. You can assess the situation better. But that's just not a possibility right now. So this seems to be a temporary fix in these kinds of situations.
0: Ben Montgomery is one of Axios' Tampa Bay reporters. Thanks, Ben.
2: Thanks so much.
0: Here's what else we're watching this week. The jury should hear closing arguments today in the trial of former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin. He faces second-degree murder, third-degree murder, and manslaughter charges for the death of George Floyd. The jury could start deliberating as soon as this afternoon. And later this week, the U.S. should make a decision on the future of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. Right now, the CDC and the FDA have recommended pausing the use of it. But Dr. Anthony Fauci said this on NBC's Meet the Press yesterday.
1: I think by Friday we'll know which
2: way we're going on this. My estimate is that we will continue to use it in some form. I doubt very seriously if they just cancel it. I don't think that's going to happen.
0: And author Richard Wright has a new book coming out tomorrow. As one of America's greatest writers, why is this new book coming out now, six decades after his death? Axios' race and justice reporter, Russell Contreras, is here to explain. Good morning, Russell.
3: How are you doing, Nyla?
0: So why wasn't this book published back when it was written in the 1940s?
3: Well, in the 1940s, Richard Wright presented this novel to publishers. And at the time, they thought it was just too hot. He was dealing with issues around race and police brutality. In 1940s America, they really wanted any work about Black art to be about Black hope. And Richard Wright, at this time when he wrote this book, The Man Who Lived Underground, was touching on some really difficult issues about police violence and how Black people interacted with police. And because we're having a racial reckoning, the novel can really talk to us today. It is talking about the past and is addressing the past. Right now, it's also speaking to the present.
0: Can you tell us about the process of how this was found and what the story, a little bit about the story?
3: Yeah, well, Richard Wright's daughter found the novel in a collection of archives at Yale And the novel had appeared in portions of a short story, collection that came out after Richard died. She found this collection, approached the publisher, and said, hey, can we publish this novel along with an essay about his grandmother? And so over time, the publisher, Library of America, looked at it, looked at transcripts, looked at notes, and were able to reconstruct the novel as it was written in 1941.
0: Russell Contreras is Axios' race and justice reporter. Thanks, Russell. I'm looking forward to reading this. Thanks for having me. That's it for us today. You can reach our team at podcasts at axios.com or find me on Twitter. And if you have a minute to give us a review, we'd really appreciate it. Rating us on the Apple Podcast app makes it so much easier for other people to find us. I'm Nyla Boudou. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And we'll see you back here tomorrow morning.